You're listening to From Heaven and Hope, a weekly podcast where Nicole Frazier brings you conversations from those who have been affected by grief. Whether a parent, child, friend, counselor, pastor, or philanthropist, everyone moves through and conquers grief in their own way. We know that what you're facing is a long road, but no matter how dark that road is, there will always be light. There will always be purpose. From where they are in heaven to the hope you need to move forward, we want to help you on that journey. Here is today's episode. Welcome back to From Heaven and Hope. Today we're joined by Naomi Brickle, a conversation that was recorded about a year ago, but still so valid today. She is such a joy, such a bright light, just a beautiful speaker, a conversation that I enjoyed tremendously. She lost her son, Adam, suddenly when he was 15 years old, completely unexpected and tragic. And she has built a beautiful life, a beautiful perspective, and a beautiful outreach in his honor. So please listen along to Naomi. Hi, Naomi. How are you? Good, Nicole. How are you? Thank you so much for having me on today. Yeah, I'm good. Thank you for coming. So um, I'm so happy that you reached out and I got a chance to read a little bit about about your son. But why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself, your story, why you're here today on the podcast so the audience can get to know you? Sure, absolutely. So I'm the mom of six kids. I And around four years ago, my 15-year-old son, Adam, went out to walk the dog one Sunday night uh, after we'd had a really beautiful family dinner with my mom over and all my kids. And it had been the first time my all my kids were together under the same roof in a really long time. And uh, we'd had a really nice dinner. We were actually at the time in the, dealing with the, the illness of my husband. So we it wasn't an easy time for us, but it was a beautiful night. Adam went out before bed to walk the dog. And along the walk, he dropped dead of a heart condition that runs in our family. Um, so it was very sudden, shocking, unexpected. And I had fallen asleep reading and I was like awake or asleep with the light on when my son came in and said, you know, where's Adam? And that was the most life-changing question of my life. It was the question that the aftermath of which would kind of reset my whole life. And, and um, anyway, Adam was we soon discovered was lying on the street and had died and of a heart condition called hypertrophic cardiomyopathy. So why am I here? Well, the path after Adam was one that was, you know, I don't think there's any pain worse than the loss of a child for a mother. I, I, not to, not to diminish fathers or anything, but a, a, a child comes from its mother's body and that we are, we are literally share the same cells in our body. And, and that loss is, I think, the most significant insult to the human person that um, can really occur. So I was brought to the lows of the low, um, really suffered and had to, had, to, had to stay in survival mode for my five other kids and my husband. But in the darkness, there were some lights that really did shine through. There were stories that kids shared of Adam's life that showed me a person that I did not even know while he was alive. Um, just this really bright light to others. And I found my own bright lights kind of, well, I can't say bright lights, but dim flickering lights that saved me like lights. And really it was my faith. 
um, a faith that I had been brought up with. But so I wrote a book and I tried to, I think my book kind of came from what was at first a desperate mom's attempt to hang on to anything, you know, to hang on to all of it uh, so as not to have the loss of her child mean, like just have a total obliteration from the earth, the face of the earth. I really just wanted the memories all in one place. But as I wrote, some really powerful messages came out. So I wrote a beautiful book. I started a blog and I feel that, you know, Adam's kind of left me with a purpose to carry on his purpose, which is to bring a little more light into this world, especially in these kind of anxiety provoking chaotic times we're in. Now that's a great reason. And when, so just to clarify, when did, when did Adam pass away? What, what was the year? Adam died in 2017, um, which when he was 15 years old. So in those, in those first kind of, you know, weeks, months, maybe the first year, even what, like, what did you need from your, from your inner circle, from your people um, to support you through that time? And then on the flip side, is there anything that happened that you just did not resonate with at all that you didn't find helpful at all? So I would say I am perhaps one of the most blessed human beings by having a network of family and friends. I live in a community where I grew up. I, so I have, I'm from a big family. I have a big family. Uh, so I was immediately surrounded, scooped up, and I can't think of anything that wasn't the right thing. I think being, for me personally, I'm a very socially social person. Um, so to have been alone would not have been the right thing for me. And I never was, (laughs) um, I had people come in and take care of details. I I wanted to control a lot of the details because I am a mom of six kids and I've learned some control, some habits of control. Um, but I really feel there wasn't, there really wasn't any time people overstepped. And when they did, like if there was some sort of slightly inappropriate behavior, then those friends around me somehow exited me. So I had a lot of protection from the people around me. Another thing that was really powerful, I think, is people think healing maybe starts after the funeral, but it doesn't. I don't think healing really starts I don't think my, I was on a path, I guess I was on a path to healing the whole time, you know, from the very first moment, but I don't think I felt any kind of sense that I would ever be healed until two years after he died. Like it was really two incredible years of, of difficult, like of just darkness. And I still feel the darkness. I shouldn't, it's not like it magically, like a rainbow came out on the anniversary of the second year, but I think having like, like, so I had, I had five other kids I needed to survive for. I had a sick husband at the time. So I really had to be on, like, I had to be strong and I had to be, but I wasn't, you know, you're not as strong as, as strong as I looked on the outside, I was broken on the inside. I think I was really blessed. There was this, these group of women, my sister, my sister-in-laws, my, my best friend from growing up people and a few other really close friends. And they, got on this text thread called the sunset crew. And they basically were in touch with each other every day saying, who's the one who's going to check on Naomi today. And I guess they called themselves the sunset crew. Cause that's when they'd usually show up with like right around the time where the kids were home from school, you know, or, or back in the house where I was making dinner, my workday was over. And that's really when the hard time 
would happen. Um, and they'd usually show up with a bottle of tequila or a bottle of wine and say like, you know, uh, I, someone brought me a citrus. My, my best friend, Nancy brought me a citrus presser and they'd come in. And so my dinner hour wasn't me alone making dinner in my brain and my head spinning. My dinner hour was Nancy or someone like sitting with me, kidding with the kids you know, it's really hard. Like people don't realize how difficult it is to be a mom and have other kids and to be in grief because the grief isn't just mine. Every I was living in a house with seven people who are all experiencing grief in their own way. And a bunch of us were adults. And it's really complex to live alongside people in grief doing it differently. And it can be very tense at times. Yeah. Yeah. And um I like a couple of things you said there. So like um, the comment about grief or healing starting after the funeral, I actually think right after the funeral is one of the hardest moments because that's when your life is supposed to kind of go back to normal, like ish, right? Like it's, you're done all the planning. You've been focused on that up until the time of the memorial. And then you're supposed to just start over now and it's not normal anymore. So that, like that's really, that sticks in my mind. And then also just everybody grieving differently. So do you want to talk a little bit about that? I mean, in your marriage, maybe in your family, like how do you navigate that and, and stay kind of respectful of everybody? Because it's true. It does. It does create a lot of tension because it's hard. Yeah. It's, you're misunderstanding each other all the time. Yeah. So living in a house with adult children is not easy anyway. Yeah. Um, you know, and I have, Adam was the fifth of my six children. So, um, and Adam's, death left a gap between my fourth and my sixth of eight years. So, you know, I had a lot of, we, there was a lot of adults living in the same house for, for within like four years of each other. And they were in their twenties and late teens. So I, I guess the best I could say is I don't think I managed it well. Like it was yeah. so hard. It was just so stressful. We were <clears throat> everything was eggshells. Everyone was eggshells. And then you never knew when someone was going to just lose their, lose it, you know? And um, I think what was most difficult for me was how alone I felt because there were other adults around. And I think every single one of us felt totally isolated from one another. Um, and my husband, you know, my husband was really ill. He, my husband uh, has Parkinson's. He's in the, now he's in the very late stages of Parkinson's. Um, but he had already, he has something called Parkinson's with Lewy body dementia. And he had started that, like he was kind of in mild to moderate dementia at the time. And there were times he would say like, when's Adam going to be home from school? Mm-hmm. Which was just yeah. heartbreaking. Like the day Adam died. I was having a bad day. It was a Sunday afternoon. And I was like, in order to not be a jerk to everybody in the house, Hmm. I was like, I'm going to go for a walk. And I went for a walk and I just, I live about two miles from the Long Island Sound. So I decided to walk to the water and I passed the church where I grew up and I stopped into the church and I sat in the back next to a very, a big cross, a life-size cross of Jesus dead on the cross. And I sat right at the bottom of it and I wept and I said, I need a break. I can't do this anymore. That was at three o'clock in the afternoon. And my son died seven hours later. And I remember, I remember being in the hospital, thinking back to where I was at three o'clock that afternoon being like, are you serious? Like, what are you thinking? Yeah. Yeah. 
it was so harsh. It just felt like such a harsh response. But I have to say, I've, I've experienced a lot of bumps in my life. And there isn't one bump, including Adam's loss, that I would unwind. Mm-hmm. I really believe when I'm going through it, I always think God's making a terrible mistake. <laughs> but in hindsight, I always realize Mm-hmm. All right, it makes sense. It all makes sense. Okay, so you talked a little bit, a little bit about your, um, about your faith and about how you believe that you know God's plan is bigger than all we can ever understand. So I think you know when you know for myself and for everybody that I've talked to, when these big life events happen, there's this there's this instinct to either lean right in or pull away. And it sounds like you were able to lean in, but was there ever an instinct to pull away, like right right at the foot of it, kind of? I can remember. So this is, this was how I lived. So I went back to work two weeks after he died and that was too soon, I think. And I was only pressured by myself. There was no pressure from anybody except myself to go back to work. And when I was at work, I worked. And when I came home, I did everything I could do to be a good mom to my, my family and to hold myself together. But when I was in that car driving home, I was screaming at God. Mm-hmm. I was cursing at God. I was, I don't know how anyone would ever put up with what I was dishing out. So I don't think I ever pulled away from God, but I did get in his face. Yeah, you're angry. And, but I guess, you know, I've gotten, who do we get at? Like, who do we show our worst sides to? The people we love the most. So I guess, I guess I never pulled away at all, but I did show him all my emotion, how I felt about things. And it wasn't always good. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's, that's good. I think, I mean, I think that's honest and I feel like that's a lot of people, right? Like either you find it, you pull away or you're just lay it at his feet and sounds like that's what he did. So, yeah. Yeah. And then, so when you think about kind of those early days versus now, how, how do you sort of process your grief now? What does it look like now? How does it look different? So I would say that I am more happy today than I ever was before Adam died. I have found a path through grief that did something bigger in the process. It, I, learned, I learned joy in the process of my grief. I still, so I have this, um, I have a Google home hub in my kitchen and it has pictures that go through And the other day, a picture of Adam from when he was a little boy popped up and he used to like to wear these, like he was on the swimming team. So he would wear this bathing suit. That's like, they're like, they're called jammers. They're like, they're like, like tight, the tight kind of racing type bathing suit, but they were long, like, like down to his knee. And he looked so darn cute in them. Like, and it was a picture of him when he was like seven or eight on the beach. So it was eight full years before he died. And I saw that picture. And I started to cry and I was reflecting on it. And I was like, you know, if Adam was still alive, I would still have just started to cry because it was a picture of Adam when he was eight, Mm -hmm. as opposed to when he was 15. Mm -hmm. And I noticed that with my oldest or my youngest son, Jude, he's now 15. Mm -hmm. Um, And when I see pictures of him when he's little, I sometimes tear up and cry because, you know, like there's this, there's a morning process, even when our kids grow, as our kids grow. So I still feel the hole 
And I still feel that Adam's loss is my most pervasive reality, Mm -hmm. but I still feel a lot of joy. And in fact, just before like we started talking, I was like, okay, I have a few minutes. I had to do it. I'd had a few minutes just to, to be quiet. And I felt Adam in my heart. Mm-hmm. And whenever I do things related to the book or to Adam's life, I feel him right here. So I still really feel it doesn't erase the grief, like the pain that there's nothing like losing a child. Yeah. But I do really feel his presence. And in some ways, there's times where I feel his presence much more real mm-hmm. than even when he was alive. Right. Yeah. So interesting. And, you know, so speaking of your, uh, you, you mentioned your son, Jude. So you have, you have Jude and then four others that are living here aside with you. So I guess, how do you navigate kind of grief while also respecting and honoring their you know, their growth and their milestones. And then when you think about, you know, Jude today, he's 15, which is the age that Adam was when he passed. Like, how do you reconcile that in your, in your mind, in your heart? And how do you deal? Jude's suffered a lot since Adam passed. Like he's just dealt with a lot of, he's, he's lost a father, basically. He's lost a brother. He's had a lot of trauma in his life. In my work, um, I'm in human development and we talk about something called a, a advanced childhood or adverse childhood experiences. And it's almost like this score that you can tell that if a, a, ki- a young, a young child that goes through too many, like too many certain bad experiences has less of a likelihood to be successful in adulthood because of these traumas that occurred during their life. And I realized Jude's ACE score is super high. So he's, he's had his struggles and there's so many times where my, and all my kids have had their struggles since Adam dealing with the trauma. I made a commitment at one point, I was sitting on the beach and a friend asked me, how, how are your other kids doing? And I was like, they're all awesome. And I started to just realize that I have learned to see my children's blessings in a way I never did before. It used to be when my kids were struggling, I would perseverate on their issues and their struggles and their problems. And when you have a bunch of teenagers, it gives you a lot to perseverate on. Like teenagers are really complex. <laughs> Even the best teenagers are really complex. Um, but so I, you, before Adam died, I would be hyper-focused on those problems to the point that they would block, like block out the blessings. After Adam died, I something switched and I started to see those blessings. So I decided that from now on, when Jude and I are in the same room, he is only going to feel my loving energy and not my angst. And so I still have a lot of angst about Jude, but I save it for when he's at school or when I'm having a sleepless night worrying or whatever. When he's in the kitchen, if he chooses to come into the kitchen where I am at, he's only experiencing my conscious awareness of how dear and special he is. So I feel like that's how I like my kids feel my love in a different way than they did prior to Adam. Yeah. And how do you keep, how do you keep Adam's memory alive? Like in your house, do you do anything at Christmas at his birthday? Is there anything special you do? So definitely on the anniversary, there's a whole, like each year on the anniversary, we have a kind of, we have the same dinner that we had that Sunday night. His friends come. 
my family comes. It's a real celebration, um, not necessarily a celebration, but it's people being around to acknowledge that day and to be loving together. Um, also on his birthday, it's pretty similar. I do something every year uh, that I used to do for him, which is travel. Like I, we're, we, I live near Long Island and the North Fork of Long Island is really beautiful. And he used to love to take this ride along the North Fork because there was a great candy store in Mattituck. So every year in August, I take a ride to the North Fork and I stop at that candy store and I buy a ton of candy. And because I love candy too, Adam and I shared that in common. And, um, and I always buy a little gift for myself in that store. So I, that's another way. And then I think the best way I keep his memory alive, the most, the biggest blessing for me in keeping his memory alive is after Adam died, like when Adam was alive, I knew he had like two or three really super close friends. After Adam died, these kids, it was around the first year anniversary. All of these kids started showing up and reaching out to me and connecting with me. And they ended up coming to the house on the one year anniversary. There was probably 50 kids who showed up at my house. It was amazing. And one of them, as they, she was going out the door, and I had never met any of them really, except that, the, you know, at the, when they came to the wake at the house. But for them, I didn't, you know, I didn't remember any of them. But as they were leaving, one of them said to me, we, we want to take you out to dinner. I was like, sure. Knowing it would never happen. Yeah. And a couple of days later, that same girl texted me and said, um, we want to schedule that dinner. And I said, why don't you come to the house instead? Why don't you come to the house on December 12th? Cause he died on the 12th. So, and they, what happened was we started, they came to dinner, this group of kids, any of them who wanted came to dinner for that year after every month on the 12th of the month. Uh-huh. And I would, I mean, it started to be like, I was cooking for 20 kids. So it was like, it was a little stressful sometimes like getting it ready. I started to finally just order pizzas, but I keep his memory alive in the connections with the friends and seeing how, you know, and they all keep his memory alive and share dreams. They share, they share what they did that they knew he would love. They, they, they show up on holidays. So they're all at college now, um, but they come, they text me and I had coffee with one over Christmas, another stopped by, a few stopped by. Some of them are a real, real significant part of my life. And some of them just text and show up every once in a while or, or just say, hey, Naomi, I'm thinking about you. It's beautiful. It's such a gift. It hasn't filled, Adam's friends haven't filled the hole in Adam's loss, but they've filled a hole in yeah. Adam's Another hole. Yeah. 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 Wow. That's really special. That's, that's yeah. really special of them to, to, oh, yeah, there's such an amazing group of kids. I've got a lot of hope, you know, we we're living in a world that's really tough and his friend group, you know, he goes to, he went to a very, very diverse high school and his friends were very, were diverse and they give me a lot of hope about the world we're in. Like, like they, they somehow, if I, my mom sometimes says that we are all put in the time where we need to be. Mm-hmm. And I feel like as I've gotten to know this, these young adults, that it gives me hope that our world's going to be okay. Yeah. Yeah. Me too. Just by the sounds of it. Yeah. Um, and then, so speaking of friends, I mean, we talked a lot about Adam's friends and about your friends. So if you had a friend that was, or someone you, a friendly acquaintance that you knew that was grieving or had been through a similar situation, how would you support them? How would you be there for them? Would you specific gifts, words you would say, what would you do for them? So I've learned a lot about that by what people did for me. Mm -hmm. 
I've become much less selfish because of what people did for me. One example might be that I would make a much more of an effort to go to a funeral that I might not really need to go to. I make much more of an effort to do things where I could have made up an easy excuse before. I might make much more of an effort when I know a friend has a child in the hospital or has to reach out, say, can I bring like something? Can I, I've, I've definitely, my eyes have been open to the needs and grieving of others in a way that didn't, I didn't necessarily, I could probably had more blinders on before. Mm-hmm. Um, so I just, I don't know if there's specific things I would do. I, I might not give them a book, even though I just wrote a book, but, um, but I would just think of the way I wanted to be there. I might like, I might show up with a few bottles of wine and just leave them at the front door or, you know, a bunch of cold cuts from the, you know, deli meat from the, from the deli and some, you know, just stuff to, to, to nosh on bottles of soda, like just things that people need yeah. to make it a little easier. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. I think, yeah. All you can do is all you can do. And I think that's a good point too, is if you're willing to make yourself a little bit uncomfortable to make someone else a little bit more comfortable, like that's love, right? That's how you Yeah. And people. you know, like it can be really simple too. Like, Very simple. like I remember yeah. the first good deed that was done for, well, no, it was the second good deed, but one of the first good deeds that was done for our family was um, when we got home from the hospital that night, my son, Johnny, Adam's older brother, his uh, two of his friends showed up and they just showed up. They didn't stay. It was one o'clock in the morning. So it wasn't like they were showing up to support. They just went up and slept on his floor with him. They just wanted to be near their friend. And the next morning, one of those kids' moms showed up with a bunch of Dunkin' Donuts, sweet coffee drinks, a box of donuts, and just stuff for them. And as a mom, when you have kids sleeping upstairs, you start thinking, oh, I should go get bagels or I I need to do this or I got to make something. I just kept finding these little things when you would think a mom wouldn't be thinking about feeding their kids when her kid just died. But you do like you, you can't help it. You're programmed. And sometimes it's an easier thing to think about than the big the big fat thing in front of you. Yeah. But those things kept just being taken care of for me. Um. So the little things were the huge things. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. I'll try to do those little things. Yeah. And, um, okay, so, I mean, we, we talked a little bit about books and, and things, but were there, I mean, you, you have to be about your faith too. Were there any any resources you found helpful, like books, Bible verses, blogs, anything like that? I can't really say in the first year or two that there was any kind of things with letters in it that helped me because I couldn't read. I I really couldn't read at all, but maybe one of the, the most, it was people showing up and people helping me access my faith. So here's an example. This, the second day, a friend showed up at six 30. She said it the night before um, that she'd be there in the morning. And she was at my front door at six 30 the following morning because she she said to me the night before, I know you probably want to go to church. And I was like, I do, but I don't want to go to nine o'clock mass. Like I want to be in the church, but I don't want to go to like a nine o'clock daily mass because everyone will know. And people, I, I don't want people, I don't want to be people. I, I'm not ready for people yet. So she took me 
the next morning, she doesn't even go to church herself, but she showed up at my door, brought me to church, sat next to me so that the eyes I felt burning into me for the few people that were in that church, I didn't feel so alone. I felt protected by a friend who, who was with me. Like I, like I said, I couldn't really read, but, but people who did those things to help me access my faith um, by just showing, like taking me to church, I think were really powerful and helpful. Yeah. Okay. That makes sense. Uh, okay. So I know you weren't really into books or anything the first you know, year or two, like you just mentioned, but you did write a book. So do you want to talk a little bit more about that book? I love the title and, and your blog and the work you're doing to kind of encourage others on this journey as well. Yeah, sure. So um, there were actually two books that I read after Adam died that really helped me on my journey. And one of those is called Embraced by the Light by Betty Eady. And it's about a woman who has a near-death experience. And it turns out when you read the book that she also had a near-death experience as a very small child. And that book was very powerful for me to help feel Adam's purpose or to help kind of connect. It, did, it wasn't a book that explained that there was a purpose in a short life, but it was a book that helped me open and become more open to some of the meaning in Adam's short life. And then there was another book that really helped me called The Power of Now by Eckhart Tolle, which is really a book about you know presence and, and your inner and being present, but also your inner presence of this divine inner presence. And that became a real source of peace for me. And it also, I think, enabled both of those books, I think, not only helped me in the journey, and I read them right around two years, um, but also set me up to kind of be able to pull some meaning out of the stories. Like I had started writing the stories that people were sharing with me, but as I wrote them, some real meaning came out of each of the stories. So my book is not to spoil the ending, but everything's going to be okay. And it's um, and then with the subtitle of Insights from a Teenager in Heaven about Happiness Here. And it's 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 basically kind of a compilation of stories from Adam's life and after, like either dreams or things that happened for kids or experiences that I had that felt made, you know, resonated. But all of them have these these messages about peace, joy, happiness, for me, faith, kindness to others. And they're, they're all kind of, um, there were these themes that kind of came out in the stories. So, so after Adam died, I didn't want to have a wake in a funeral home. Like that's typically what we would do in my faith community. Um, but I live in an, I live and happen to work with a lot of Jewish people. And I have been to a lot of Shiva services where, which are generally in the home. And I really liked how the, the connectedness of that, like the warmth and the intimacy of that. So I knew that Adam's funeral would be really crowded because like I said, I come, I live in the community. I grew up, I come from a big family. I have a big family and um, the thought of being in a funeral home and with my husband, not able to even barely stand and this line of people with sad faces and my kids needing to stand there and hug each one. It was so threatening to me. So I decided to just like copy my Jewish friends and have people come pay their respects in our home. And probably a thousand people like showed up over the two days. And my sister went to the bookstore like before and to find like a book that people could sign in. Like you do at a funeral home, you sign your name and your address um, to show you were there. And while she was in the bookstore, um, 
a woman, she was telling the woman what it was for. And the woman's like, you know, maybe you should buy this type of a book. And it was this big, heavy bound book of blank pages. And she's like, and buy a bunch of colored pens and let people share memories of Adam. So like what a treasure that turned out to be, although I didn't even look at it for two years, but um, so in Christmas of 2020, so COVID Chris, our first COVID Christmas, um, two of my boys had COVID and I sent them, I sent them away to my mom's beach house because like, I didn't want, you know, like I I was going to have to quarantine and I didn't want to be around them. So I was home alone. I'm from a huge family. So Christmas is always huge. And I was home alone on Christmas with just my daughter up in her room. And it was so weird, but I ended up reading that book for the first time. And as I read it, I was just blown away by the memories and they really did seem to have themes to them. And they were also starting to fade. So I dictated the whole book into a Google doc. And then I went through and I stuck it into a word cloud software to see what words would pop out. And of course, Adam was big in the middle, but there were some like kind of words that popped out like spirit or OD fun was one, which is like a slang term for very fun um, like a, or whatever. Yeah. Slang term that the kids use. But it made me think about like there are these there are really real themes in these in these stories that people left. So I actually went through and I in my work, I do kind of some I have had through my academia work and my my whole experience of getting my master's degree. I had to do some qualitative data analysis. So I went through and I coded the whole document and pulled out the themes. And there were certain themes that fell through. So I divided all the stories and structured my book. I structured it all around these themes. And each theme is represented by a hashtag because that's these kids speak in hashtags. So Mm -hmm. it was represented by a hashtag with some sort of term that I like I had been able to break into Adam's phone after and read all his texts. And there's language that they use that I don't understand, like OD fun, like I said, means very fun. I had never, ever heard that term in my life. But whenever they they were like, oh, man, that was so old. That was OD fun. Or like, you know, so I use terms like that from his phone to kind of do each theme. And so the books, the stories are all divided up into those themes. And it's powerful. It's got really powerful stories about kindness, about racial tolerance. Like there was, there was really just some really cool stuff about being there for others, even about faith. So that's my book. And it really is a powerful book. I've even read it several times. I'm, 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 I'm biased, I guess, but, but I've been stopped on the street even at times by people I don't even know to say, you don't know me, but your book changed my life. So I know it's touching others and that makes me feel good. And I really want to get it out there. And then I've also started writing a blog. So my blog is called Finding Adam's World, Connecting to What's Real Under the Noise. And I think what came from the book was that there are really simple things that are real that could change that change the world. Like it is, there's these simple acts we can do that can make the world so much better. And sometimes all it takes is very little effort. Um, so my blog is much more about connecting to things that are around us every day that we sometimes lose sight of in the distraction of our chaotic culture and the anxiety we all have. And so, um, so I write about things like seeing the joy in my kids rather than being clouded by their, the concerns over their well-being and stuff like that. I love it. Thank and you. Yeah. I, I just think it's such a 
a neat way to kind of, you know, honor Adam, but also give hope and encouragement to others as, as they move through the process too. So I think that's great. Yeah. Thank you. Uh, yeah. When you think about Adam today, what, what do you think about what, what does it feel like? I think I just feel a joy in my heart. Mm-hmm. I literally, like I said, five, like just for a couple minutes, I was quiet before just coming on and I just felt this ab- ebullient joy from him. Like I felt he felt proud of me for coming on a podcast to talk about the book I'd written yeah. on his purpose. There's times I also feel a real longing and sadness. I feel very blessed to know Adam, who I didn't know before he died. Yeah, that's really special. Okay, yeah. so as we wrap up, are there any words of encouragement you want to leave the audience with today? I Yeah, well, well, I guess encouragement, but also, you know, the title of my book I don't ever, you know, the title of my book is not to spoil the ending, but everything's going to be okay. And, and I got a lot of emails or like outreach or messages from people after I wrote it saying like, oh, wow, you're so strong. Look like, oh, your, your faith is so strong or, oh, you know, it is okay for you. And in the book, I really do try and show the contrast that I experienced. Like I did really hit the bottom of the bottom. I suffered the lowest of the low. There's nothing worse than losing a child. I, my hair got grayer. Like, like I, in the year after my, I have the same heart condition that Adam died, that advanced, like it is an incredible physical insult and there's nothing worse that I've ever experienced. So it's not all okay, but it is all okay. And I just, I just don't ever want to diminish the darkness of a, of a mom who's going through a loss. And I want to acknowledge that darkness and I want to revere that darkness. I remember, you know, you hear this term from, from therapists and stuff, lean in. And I never understood what lean in meant until I lost Adam and experienced such incredible pain. And I would put up a resistance to that pain. You know, we resist the pain. We want to be better, Mm -hmm. but you can't when you lose a child, it's just, you just can't. And so I just want to acknowledge that that darkness is part of the process, but it doesn't mean there aren't little bursts of light underneath that we can use to get through it. And that eventually that light becomes brighter and brighter and right. And now here I am four years later, I still have incredible loss over the, like, it's still my most, as I said earlier, it's my most pervasive reality, but I'm the happiest I've ever been. And I do believe that humans can live in contrasts and that's what I've learned to do. That's perfect. All right. And where can our listeners find you if they want to connect, if they want your book, if they want to read the blog, where can they find you? Well, thank you. So I, I think I'm like the only Naomi Brickle that exists. It's a very unusual name. Um, and I have, so I got the URL for my name. So my email, my, my website is naomibrickle.com and my blog is there and the landing page has my book and even links to buy my book. Um, you can subscribe to my blog there. You can join a book club and read the book with me. Um, I'm really, look, I really want to do book reads with, you know, have discussion groups around it in the, in 2022. So I'm doing some of those. Um, and I would love to have 
you know, to, to, for listeners to, to come and to read and to talk and discuss and to share. Um, so www.naomibrickle.com. Thank you. So yeah, much. thank you. And thank you so much for joining me today. I, I loved this chat and I love your perspective and I love the title of the book, of course. Well, Nicole, <laughs> thank you so much for what you're doing because, you know, I, I think there's something really powerful in moms who've experienced such pain and, and grief mm-hmm. who turn it into something to make the world better. And yeah. that's what you do with your with, with this and with all the work you're doing. And that's what I'm trying to do too. So kudos to you and kudos to me and to all the other moms that you have on. Yeah. Thank you so much. That's an awesome way to end. Thank you for tuning in to From Heaven and Hope. If you found today's episode comforting, encouraging, and enlightening, I encourage you to leave a review and subscribe so you don't miss any of our new episodes. Please take care and know that you're never alone in this journey.